I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Hey everyone, just going to do a quick intro to this week's episode with David Lane from David Lane Design. Uh, we did record this in the Hungerford building, um, distance as much as we could be, wearing masks for the vast majority of the recording. We do mention that in the intro, so um, tried to take as much precaution as possible while still trying to meet in public at least a little bit. Um, just as a quick prelude, uh, I've started a new food delivery service in Rochester called Curate, and that's curatemeals.com. Um, if you'd like to get a delivery for two people's food uh, to your house uh, for $40, this is a mystery service where uh, myself and the uh, team from Frankly will be picking different restaurants of different origins uh, every other week. Um, we have orders stopping today, which is uh, Monday the uh, Monday the 8th at 5 p.m. for our delivery on uh, delivery on Wednesday. So take a look at curatemeals.com and at curatemeals on all of your social media for more. We'll be doing this every two weeks. So take a look and order this week's uh, this week's restaurants. Fantastic. Thanks for listening. And we're back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. Um, I'm here. Uh, I'm recording on site for the first time since before the pandemic. Uh, we're, what, 12 feet apart? 12, 13 feet apart, sure. Yeah, 12, 13 feet apart. We're masked, other than a little bit of tasting that we're going to be doing. Uh, so uh, apologies in advance about the room noise. We're here on the fourth floor of the uh, majestic Hungerford building here in downtown Rochester. And at the studios of... Introduce yourself, sir. Uh, David Lane Design. I'm a local leather worker, uh, watch strap extraordinaire, if you will. Yeah, so we're we're here. Um, you know, Dave's been working. I can see he's been working real hard recently. Uh, before we dive in, uh, where can people find your stuff if they're interested in uh, well-sourced and crafted leather goods? Uh, we're online at davidlanedesign.com, and all of the social medias are the same handle, so at David Lane Design, Twitter, Instagram, uh, all that all that fun stuff. Beautiful. So uh, for reference, we did a record probably, man, probably four years ago now. At least, at least. Four years ago in the home studio. And um, Dave and I were frequent uh, frequent guests of the of the uh, the classic Joe Bean location on University yeah. Ave. Uh, that's how we got to know each other, was course, hanging yeah. out there. Um, and through my process of getting acclimated to, you know, whiskey and other things, Dave and I have other things to talk about. But yes, we do. we've been, um, you know, on and off discussing of many different things. We just got uh, just caught up recently. Um, At Joe Bean, ironically, right? Yeah, yeah, which we're both picking up, uh, you know, picking up beans for, the, for home brewing because that's what we all do now. Absolutely. What's your home setup? Are you using your own dripper still? I, I am. I do, uh, I do a Chemex 6 cup or I think it's an 8 cup actually. Um, and and pretty, pretty basic. I did recently get a, uh, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to remember the name. It is a double walled stainless steel French press. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've, is it one of the online ones? Yes. They're not I saw cheap. It. No. They're like 100 bucks. But um, the nice thing about them is the, there's, a, there's a dual filter in it, and the uh, rubber ring around the outside really does create a nice seal. So as long as you press pretty slow, 
the amount of uh, the sed sediment in the in the coffee yeah, is the fines, yeah. greatly reduced. Mm. Uh, and the flavor's totally different from what, you know, like a, a Chemex would be. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the pandemic kind of brought that purchase out. Of course. Uh, it was like, okay, I'm, I have had multiple of this, multiple of this. I had done my AeroPress. I had done, you know, I, I kind of got a little bit of everything at the house. And that, uh, that, that uh, French press was kind of a nice little, little change up. And I, I found that, and I'm sure most people have, you're probably drinking a little bit more coffee. Absolutely. You know, obviously cooking a little bit more food. And uh, it, it was nice to have the, the heat retention because I would brew a pot in the morning of Chemex and then I'd get wrapped up into something. I'd forget what the hell I was doing. And then all of a sudden I go over to my Chemex, it's cold. Whereas now uh, with the with the uh, French press, it's kind of nice to just it can sit for an hour and it's still hot uh, when you pour a cup. So. Well, I think the, I think the biggest thing that I did was um, until this started, I did not drink coffee every day. Nice. Um, so now I drink coffee every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I started that routine. So in the morning, I'm waking up and doing a full pour over, but that led me to you know, led me to upgrade everything I was using. So nice. I bought I bought one of the, uh, I bought a Bluetooth coffee scale that connects to an app on my phone. Did you get the uh, uh, IKEA? Yep. Nice. The IKEA, the, the or Akaya, yeah. Yep, the, the regular one, not their super yep. fancy one. I've, personally, I've had one of those for about a year and a half, maybe two years now. Yeah. Love it. It's great. It's it's just a good tool. And, and, and like you just said, you upgraded but it's not that you upgraded because you needed to. You upgraded no. because you're using it every single day. And let's face it, making coffee is a little self-care component. You know, there's a there's a, a heartwarming process to that if you're making and brewing, you know, by hand in a pour-over type style. There's you're connected to it. Yeah. Right. And I actually just bought a new. I bought a new kettle so I could um, because I bought some beautiful teas from Happy Earth. Um, and I bought some, you know, I got, you know, a whole selection of, uh, fine teas and I was using a thermometer and waiting for it to drop down in temperature because mine was a single boil kettle. Sure. So I got one that has a, uh, temperature control and holds now. Awesome. Awesome. And man, it's like, you know, when it says to brew it at 176 degrees for this and 170 for that. I did it, and you know, I, I thought, oh, man, this wasn't going to make a big deal. Wow. Sure. It really makes a notable big deal. If, if you're, again, if you're sitting down and savoring and enjoying, which is, we were talking before we started recording, like, that's... That's who we are. That's it is, and are. it's one of those things that, you know, lets me enjoy things um, locked down, you know, talking to people, um, recording remotely, even just doing, you know, video chats and sampling. Sure has been one of the little lights during the during the lockdown having yeah. that ability and having having something uh, I don't want to say special because I think it's a little overused but um, having something that you can savor and you can enjoy uh, and let's face it we're, we're all I think everybody's suffering right like no doubt. on some level uh, and in the before times of course people had had suffering, but I think during this pandemic, we're all in some level of pain from this. Yeah. And 
And I think what we can also say, and that's something I, I try never to forget, is by and large, we are exceedingly privileged. Oh, my God. Like, I, I, I need for very few things. Like I talked about, I bought a Bluetooth coffee scale <laughs> during the pandemic. I need for very few things, and it's important not to forget it. Nope. it. It doesn't rule every day and every moment of my thinking, but it's critical to continue to bring it up and to continue to live that and understand how lucky we are to be able to do what we're doing today, you know, sampling fine things and Absolutely. not having to worry about where our next meals are coming from or being, you know, um, societally oppressed. Absolutely. And I, but I, we're, we're not going to talk about this the whole time, of course, because it, I just, I can't not talk about it anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but on that note, we're still going to, we're going to sample a few things. Um, well, I'd I'm, like to just, just well, as a, do. I, I, the privilege that I exist with is, is palpable. Mm. And I, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't take that for granted at points in my life. Um, I am sure on some level still take that for granted and, and I don't want to come across as saying like, oh, I'm, you know, I, you know, I have it so rough. I don't. Um, I, I, I know I have privilege and I know that that privilege is an everyday advancement, if you will, or advantage. Uh, and and uh, I've, I have checked that with myself every day uh, and really just, just tried to just be a better person and a, and a more understanding person and to recognize that when I get pissed about, you know, something like, uh, you know, whatever, I dropped something that I bought that was expensive or something. And we whatever. all do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's important. It's important that we acknowledge that, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because the, uh, you know, you you get, it's the little things, and it's it's again something that's a minor inconvenience, for me. Like, I had a relatively new phone that I slammed into a car door. Oh, nice. That's um, always fun. Which, by the way, makes a really interesting effect on a cell phone <laughs> when it kind of offsets part of the phone. It doesn't just fold it; it offsets it, which is very. I tried to describe that to the people because um, I had the ability to just, you know, buy the little Apple, buy the Apple Care or whatever sure, sure. and do that. But, like, I described it as offset. They're like, is the front glass broken? I'm like, yes, absolutely. Is the back glass broken? Yes, 100% the back glass is broken. Are you bleeding every time you use it? <laughs> That's a real check. Yeah, that was a very interesting description. They didn't understand offset as a damage. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but that's actually what it was. Um, so uh, while we're while we're talking, we're gonna we're gonna bounce between you know a few different uh, few different samples of things. So, um, by the yeah. way, if you like talking about whiskeys and stuff, I have my In Good Spirits podcast as well uh, with George Catallo from uh, uh, from uh, at uh, Whiskey Jedi and all the social medias. Yeah, uh, but we're we're just doing this casually because this is what we enjoy doing. Absolutely. Well, you and I would have done this exact conversation and podcast without a microphone. A hundred percent correct. In the before times, yep. like on a weekly basis, many times. Um, and I to to bring up that one little nugget. Oh please. Um, I like I, losing Joe Bean was a little bit of a breakup for me. 
It was. Uh, it was emotional. Uh, I felt. I felt somehow responsible on some level, and I and I know that's crazy to think. <laughs> like I, I don't have control over you know their business, but yeah. um, I really. Uh, I really was invested in their business, not financially, but, you know, we made products for them. We made their pour-over stands. We, you know, I say we, it's the editorial we. But, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I and I love the family. <laughs> the whole Turiano family is uh, just a great, great group of human beings. And, and I, when that closed, I was like, God, what, what could I have done differently? But I think, truthfully, they're in a much better place now the coffee is phenomenal. It's amazing. I mean, they're um, they're firing on all cylinders. I, I've, again, I, I continue to say, you know, I've had coffee all around the country. I've had very few things that matched, you know, and that lived up to that uh, that quality. And we're, we're, you know, it's a weird thing because it was my place to go yeah. to hang out. It was where I met so many amazing people, uh, both people that worked there, people that hung out there. Mm-hmm. It brought together a certain, it brought together a certain mindset of quality focused people that were good hangs. Yep. And it was, it, it defines a lot about what I aspire to be. Sure. sure. Is informative, uh, to be to be a, a truly good hang. But not to compromise on values. Absolutely. All at the same time, it, it defines what I, what I really aspire to be as a person now and moving forward, and to be a good steward of what we all enjoy. Yeah. It, it drives everything I do, and for a while that was. You, you know, had when a home I, base. When I was trying to go out, I would you know, the wife would be going to sleep early, and I wanted to go somewhere. Again, before. And I would find, like, I didn't know where to go. I yeah. felt, it felt listless because the places I wanted to be were not the places I was able to go to. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's different now because, you know, you, you grow, you learn different things, and you, you establish different routines. But it was so ingrained. Yeah. Because I knew I'd run into, I'd run into you, I'd run into somebody. Jim. Where I could have... Even random people who I never really, I never sure. knew before, or really after, but people I had amazing conversations with mm-hmm. that grew me. Yeah, and what a great thing! What a great thing to have had. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's and again, I love the new place, of course, and yeah. the quality is better than ever. But it's still, it still was it affected. It affected me. I know it affected yeah, you. Absolutely. Um, you know, it was uh, what it was. It was. Uh, it was. It was our, for lack of better terms, it was our dive bar. Yeah. You know, it was uh, a place of like mind and like idea and like tastes where we could go in and just enjoy a, a random conversation, a focused conversation, a very good coffee, a very good beer, uh, a little bite of food at, you know, towards the end there. And uh, once that was gone, and that was the other thing I think we had, we had mentioned before we started recording, I, it didn't feel like we were going into some dark bar with no windows, you know? No. You didn't feel like, oh, I'm going here, you know, every night I'm one of those salty dogs sitting at the corner eating peanuts, you know? Like, it was a, it was a special place. And, and you know, uh, 
to, to for colloquial terms, pour one out a little bit for, for the old Joe Bean, but uh, raise our glass to the new Joe Bean as well. So I'm really I'm really happy for them and, and uh, uh, what they're doing. So. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, it's, it's weird. You get, the side note, because this is what I do, um, I, I'm an avid listener of podcasts. I listen to a ton of them. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird the little colloquialisms you pick up that you, when you listen to people and they say the same phrases over and over again, it becomes part of your lexicon mm -hmm. without you really thinking it is. One of the comedians I listen to, like he just says, oh, 100%, like yeah. as like all the time. And now it's it's starting to get ingrained in how I talk. <laughs> and you use it. And, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's weird when you realize what it. Comedian? What comedian? Uh, it's uh, Bert Kreischer, it's on. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, really funny guy. It's, uh, uh, on the uh, Two Bears, One Cave podcast. Yep. It's great, crude, nasty, oh, fun, wow. exaggerating humor, um, which, but done in a, done in a really nice way. What is the other host's name? Uh, Tom Segura. Tom amazing, Segura. Amazing, right, right, right. amazing comedian. Both have specials on Netflix that are some of my favorites of the last few years. And I, I, put, uh, I put Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer as like the, the first sons of Bill Burr. Yeah. You know, like Bill Burr, kind of really edgy, wickedly smart, to use a Boston word. Mm -hmm. um, just, just one of my absolute favorite comedians of all time. And I feel like they didn't do a Bill Burr thing, but they certainly have notes of Bill Burr in their, in their uh, repertoire. So I, no, I think they're, they're, they're... There's certainly inspiration, but sure. the generation before them was very inspiring to them. Yep. And now that they're inspiring the comedians underneath them, it's, exactly. uh, it's amazing to see. I'm not quite as deep as I used to be. I used to follow everybody super deep, but it's great to see that where now they're not the elder statesmen, but they're, you know, they're not, they're not young guys anymore. No. And they're established. And I remember when they first started popping up on all the podcasts, you know, yep. New York and, all the other ones and to see that how you know what kind of staples of the scene they've become and good stewards of the scene and real friends of all the people as well and that's yeah. uh you know that, that's inspiring too to see people you know not that much older than me whether you know they've done the work that's the key they've made stuff happen but they've that's done the, the work they they've started their the own work. thing they ground through they did the work they caught some lucky breaks, just like everybody who's Absolutely. successful. But they also took advantage of the opportunities when they came up. Yep. Which is putting in the time and doing the work is is isn't overlooked, but on some levels it's 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 the thing that that when people look at you and you you have some some level of success, like they don't necessarily know or see or remember. No. That hard work, that grind, and, and, and some people don't have to grind. Some people just fall into some things. Um, but the people who do grind, the people who did put in 10 or 15 years in smoky clubs, you know, in North Wisconsin, that isn't seen when they're having their Netflix special. But it's part of who they are and part of their character, and, and it's part of... Uh, 
any person's experience, right? Like, it's not just comedians. It's it's entertainers. It's musicians. It's podcasters. It's everything. It's, it's amazing because I, I had a conversation with uh, one of the recent episodes with uh, uh, Amy McNamara of Herd Orchards and listening to her story about the late nights, the family time, the sacrifices that it takes to build something that defines an area that's, Absolutely. you know, defines a season for a lot of people is going to their place. Um, it's, it's really, it's interesting to see the parallels across everything. Um, but that's something I'm finding more and more when you look at the parallels of... Well, it's passion, right? Yeah. I mean, that's something that not only are you invested in and believe in, but you genuinely care about it. I think when you genuinely care about something, it it's it, it you know it kind of rises above the, the the concept of it being work. Like you're you're doing this, like like we said earlier, like we would have had this conversation regardless of the podcast, and we just you know there wasn't unfortunately with COVID there wasn't as much opportunity. Um, you know, you and I talked ahead of this. We 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 both have uh, had tests, COVID tests. We both have no fever. We both are, are very very uh, regimented about our exposure to the world and this whole you know pandemic thing. But um, we would have done this anyway, and no, it's because we're absolutely. passionate about food. We're passionate about you know bourbons and scotches and you know and and coffee and yeah you know things you know the fine the, I, I hate the term the finer things in life but. Oh, the finer things. I have yeah. to pull out my monocle. I know, my I know. Hat. But I mean, that's kind of, kind of in a in a in a weird way what it is. You know, we're none of these are needs. They're all wants. They're all uh, you know levels of privilege, as we mentioned before. Yeah. But uh, you and I geek the heck out on it. You know, and and I think that's that's why we you know we could sit here for a couple hours and yeah, rash over. So let's we should talk about this. Yes, bourbon though for sure. So the first one. Um, so. We're probably going to dive into a few different ones uh, in relatively quick succession. Um, not quite in as detailed as I do on the other podcast. Uh, but uh, first one is out of Buffalo, and I believe they are doing their own distilling. Um, Very aptly named One Foot Cock. Yeah. I, so I've had some of their products before. Got a lot of Buffalo, right? Yeah. I've, I've, had, I've had their Krupnik, and I have that at home. Uh, which is a uh, honey-styled, I think, Polish-inspired liqueur. Um, I believe I blind-tasted that during a competition, and our table gave it uh, golds across the board, which I think gives them a double gold or a platinum. It's a tremendously delicious product. Um, I don't like the branding, personally. I don't... I, I, it's not that it's... I don't mind... I really enjoy crude stuff. Sure. I, it doesn't work for me. I don't enjoy the branding. I could see it working in a um, uh, what's what's the bar district in uh, Buffalo? Oh, uh, um, oh my God, Elmwood. Elmwood. Yeah, I could see it working in Elmwood, um, and I get that. That works in the context of a bar. You see it, people are going to buy it. I don't yeah. have an issue with it. Branding does not work on me. Um, this is a young bourbon. Yes, this is very, very young. Uh, the bottle says, um, this is long in their batches, so this is batch 15, so this has been around for a while. Um, based on the color and the flavors, uh, these are obviously done in very small barrels. Yep. So very small barrels. It tastes a bit young still. It's, very, it's yeah. still grainy. You can taste the corn grain. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think it's bad. 
No. But it defines, it's very much what it says it is. And that when it says a minimum of a year, that usually indicates it's around a year. Yep. Um, and it's, it has some nice notes, but it tastes a little bit fresh grain, a little mm -hmm. green, a little, a little bit dusty. A little banana almost. On yeah. The nose. I don't think it's poorly distilled. I think it's no. distilled well. Um, and I see where they're going with it. But at the same time, it's, you know, it lacks because it is what it is. Yeah. Because it's young, because it's small barrel, and it probably needs more time. Yeah. But same time, it's not bad. No, it's not bad. And you got to start, right? You have to start somewhere. You have to kind of establish flavors and profiles and blendings. And um, I, I know not a lot about the distilling business. Um, I'll, I'll give you some some notes from my trip to Scotland, which uh, has happened since we recorded. Yeah, a while, a while back, we'll, I guess. We'll get into that a little bit because we did uh, we did the entire uh, Isla run, so all of the PD smoky stuff. Mm. Um, and in in uh, with the branding in mind, I'm a hundred percent with you. I I put good juice in the bottle. If you don't put good juice in the bottle, I don't care. You know what I mean? You can put anything you want on the label, and it's it's just fine. Uh, we're good there. We're doing a little. I'm, I'm pulling in a. Uh, I'm pulling in a, a dump cup in case we need it. Doing yeah, tiny one. pours of everything. Yeah. But still, yeah, yeah. this this uh, reminds me of doing the uh, doing the spirits judging, where you end up taking more samples and spitting more because yep. you're doing 100 or more samples. There's no way you could. That no. was actually, to, to, to kind of play on that, I never knew this, but mm. in Scotland, everything is blended 100% by nose. That makes sense. No tasting at all. And to me, I'm like, I, I'm a guy that, you know, eats things, smokes cigars, drinks beers, what, you know. If, if you were to tell me that somebody went in and blended a Laphroaig 10, for, for example, completely by nose, I, I'd call bullshit on you. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, there's no way. But 100% of their whiskeys are blended by nose. I just, I, to me, that is just remarkable. Uh, and it kind of makes sense. If you're going to be tasting or nosing every single day, hundreds of times a day, yeah, there's no way you can drink. And in Scotland, Isla has a zero tolerance. Well, it also it also blows your, after a certain point, unless you're very conscientious and paced, mm -hmm. um, your palate does become acclimated in a very different way than a typical, than a typical drinker would. So it's not to say that it's like, oh, you know, I'm so experienced that it blew out my palate. It's not that, it's right. the, when you're having things in, you know, rapid, continuous fashion, yep. and you don't pace in the absolute right way, your palate does get somewhat numbed uh, through the just the presence of alcohol, especially if you're talking about cask strength stuff. Sure. Like they're, you know, sampling right from the cask when they're blending most of the time. Well, you can, uh, your second IPA is totally different from your first IPA. Absolutely. Yeah. Your brain acclimates too. It's sure. not just your palate. Your brain acclimates to what you're having over time. Your familiarity with it changes over time as well. I mean, yeah. think of the first time, even as a mature palate, you had something that was crazy bitter. 
Right. That now you're like, oh yeah, that's it's fine. I, I like that. Right. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, this is normal versus the first time you had it, like, ah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, Brussels sprouts. Duh. Brussels oh. sprouts. I mean, I think one is how they're cooked. Yes. But two, like, you might perceive that bitterness way different than the person sitting next to you. Um, I, I, I don't know if you were there. We did the, the bitterness strips at Joe Bean. I don't think so. Years ago. They, they had bought the kit, and uh, I, I'll never forget this because I was, I was with my wife. We both put papers in our mouth. Tasted nothing. It tasted like paper. Their chef at the time, and I forget his name, young kid, curly hair. I, I, yep. I met a lot of people there. I can't remember. But he could not get it off his tongue fast enough. Hmm. From the same container, like I just a super tasters. Exactly, my my brain couldn't. I just didn't even know that existed. Hmm. So anyway, let's the, so the next one. Yeah, our next sample is from Journeyman, who I've had a few things from. Um, this is their. This is listed as a Silver Cross whiskey. I'm not sure what defines that. The bottle doesn't really say um, what drives that. Um, but this one's running, you know, mid-range, you know, 45 proof. Um, I think they're calling it a whiskey versus a bourbon, which could, let me see if they say what grains are in there. No, they don't really say what's in there. They say four grains, so I assume it's a typical four grain, which means it doesn't have to be 50% corn. Um, uh, one of those things that uh, people say it's bourbon, does have to be 50% corn. Over 50% corn, American new oak, charred new oak sure. for any period of time above zero. Yep. Um, and it has to be uncolored and adulterated um, at a certain point. Um, if you see American whiskey in something that doesn't taste old but looks old. Yeah. Um, or, you know, there's a difference between quick aging, uh, between small barrel aging and adulterated flavors. Sure. Just something to keep an eye out. If yeah. you're trying stuff that where it says American whiskey, that's when you can get into coloration and flavoration and things like that. This does not taste like that, by the way. No, no, it's because this is a this is a fine, reputable distillery. Um, totally approachable. Yeah, good tasting. Yeah, nothing crazy complex. Um, I'll remember not to sip at the same time as you. <laughs> So the grains are more restrained. They're obviously tamped down a little bit. Yeah. It's not a particularly dense whiskey. It tastes a bit, it's a bit antiseptic. A little bit, yeah. It's got a, it's got a little bit of, uh, it's got like a little bit of burnt something. I can't really put my, my, my finger on it right now, but like, uh, like it, not the barrel. No. But like a burnt... Peanut shell. I, I know what you're talking about. You know, to be honest, it's weird. The the struggle I'm having is I'm very used to I'm very used to sampling in my room, mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure this doesn't affect you at all because you're so accustomed to the smell. Yeah. Um, oh, the smell this of leather. Room, <laughs> this room has a very distinct leather smell to oh it. Oh my god! Yeah. That is completely blowing out my nosing yeah. on the whiskey. You know what? I didn't even... But you wouldn't, you wouldn't think No, I, I don't think... When people come in... Oh, and by the way, we're about to hear what a 100-year-old heating system sounds like. 
Um, so uh, the snaps and pops and clangs we're going to hear from the heat kicking on, <laughs> uh, just uh, it'll be a little background noise. They're what they are. <laughs> the, it the, is. It the, is. The, the little Dutchman in the pipes. Exactly. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a very good point. I I come in here. So many people come in here, even to the point where, um, and I'll, I'll give you a little sample before you leave. I started making cologne. Mm. Uh, well, perfume to be exact. Uh, I read two or three books. Uh, I bought a bunch of ingredients. I just wanted to make a leather smell that isn't fake and sweet like most of the leather you know, colognes on the market. So I, I legitimately went out, bought a bunch of ingredients. I bought a uh, 0.000 scale. Uh, so to the 10,000th of a gram, I just, I, I'm not joking when I say I sit at my kitchen counter, I make a pot of coffee and I'll make a cologne and I'll just kind of in, in the same kind of level and, and, and sort of interest I have with whiskey or, or beers or, or food. I just had an interest in finding the right combination of notes and, you know, I could probably sell the first one I made maybe to the Navy to repel the enemy. You know, like, it was, it was just unbearably bad. Yeah. Um, because I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I read some books, you know, I, I, I messed around, and uh, I've made probably 25 or 30, none of which are usable. Um, but I had one kind of early on that I think worked pretty well. I'll give you a little sample before you go. But, That'd be great. Um, it's got some, and, and it's, it, it's got some kind of crossover between tasting and smelling, obviously. Mm. But um, the notes that I'm getting, and, it, and this was obviously pre-pandemic, I had talked to Donnie Clutterbuck from, from Cure, and I said, look, are you interested in helping me make a cologne? You've got a nose that most people you know, would inspire to have like a, a, and he's like, absolutely, totally geek out over that. Let's do it. And then uh, here we are a year and a half later and doing nothing, basically being <laughs> stuck at home. But that's a nice one. I mean, I really, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be the first bottle I'd reach for on the, on the bar, but I think it's a nice whiskey. It's it's, I think it's around thirty five bucks. Yeah, I'd say uh, their their stuff generally. Some of the single barrel stuff runs a little bit higher. A little bit higher. Um, this one, it, it's like I said, it, it's I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent complete to what I like. Um, it's a little sharp. Yeah. Um, for my preference, but you know, it's it definitely has seen some age. It's seen a little bit of time. It's a little bit softer. Um, and it's, it's nice. I've had some different stuff from them that I liked more. Thank so, um, we're going to go into something completely, completely different from that. This has a ton of individual character. Um, so this is, uh, one that I'll be talking about on the other podcast sometime soon with, uh, my buddy George. Uh, but this is a Texas bourbon okay. uh, from a distillery called Belconis. Thank you, by the way. I appreciate which, you bringing it along. Yeah. Um, so this is 
this actually runs in the affordable range. They have other ones that are more limited in scope that are, you know, full barrel proof limited runs that are more expensive. Uh, this is in the high 20s dollar range. Wow. And the smell on it is thick. Wow. Yeah. Right? That's, that's a... We were playing AAA ball. Now we're playing pro. Very different, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, um, it's really something they wine. do, they use Texas grain. They use um, blue corn that's roasted, blue corn, as their corn base. Uh, they use, you know, Texas wheat, Texas rye, whatever they put in there, Texas barley. Um, and a salty. Yeah. A little it's, salty. It's got some real roasty notes, but it's still, you know, it's a, I, I find it actually to be a really nice mixing bourbon because this isn't this isn't your intro soft caramel vanilla only bourbon no no you couldn't give this to a first first timer no and i think well, it's, could, it's not that it's not delicious on its own but when you're talking about starting to get to different character from your grains different character from what you're doing more complex weird mm -hmm. this i think is one of the best affordable versions of that that I've that I've tasted over the last few years for you said 25 28 28 okay I, yeah I the only thing I could think of and now that the Weller has gone kind of stratospheric it's unavailable it's, yeah it's unavailable um, the Weller 107 is very good um, this is this is really really clean, mm -hmm. but complex. It's got a little bit of sharpness. It's got a little bit of uh, brightness to it, and it's actually um, I don't know what the proof is. Don't tell me the proof just mm -hmm. yet. Um, you may. Like, what's your what's your guess? I guess one hundred five to one hundred ten. So that's so the reason. So it is lower. It's in the nineties. Oh okay. Um, it's in the nineties, but. Same kind of thing that we observed in the other ones, because it's young, this is two years at most. Okay. But because it's in the it's in Texas with huge temperature, hot temperature swings, sure. You're gonna drive bigger, richer flavors, but this still tastes it still has a little bit of that heat mm -hmm. at the top and going down into your throat. Yeah. Um, again, I think very balanced to be honest. Yeah. Um, I don't think it needs to be, you know, people talk about smooth as the critical definer in whiskey, and I get that if you're not used to proof. Smooth is a, is a relative term. If, if, if the flavor is there, yeah. smoothness is something that's like a bonus, you know? Yeah. Like, I would rather have a sharp, cutting whiskey that has flavor and complexity than a, you know, a spineless, smooth you know, just absolutely almost water-like drinkable because um, there's not there's not substance there. Like, I, I to, to bring up a, a different whiskey, I, a friend of mine, uh, and I had mentioned to you, we had three couples. We've been kind of in the same circle this whole COVID thing. So we've, we've kind of hung out uh, and, and knowing that we're keeping very tight protocols. And he brought over a very expensive bottle of McCollin. Uh, it was uh, 
like in-house grain. So a lot, of, a lot of scotch distilleries will buy grain from other places and have actually there's, there's mash and malt houses where they'll literally grow and mash the grain and, and, and then ship it to the distillery where it'll be distilled. Um, so it's not always theirs. This was completely theirs. It was completely McCollins, and I, the name escapes me. But um, in the $250 to $300 a sure. bottle range. And it was just flat. Yeah. Like, and it was 62%, so 124 proof. Mm-hmm. Like, crazy high, but it was flat. I mean, it just, it had nice flavor, and it was fine, and it was a McCollin, you know, if you're familiar with McCollin whiskeys, they are. I'm not, that's only something I'm trying to learn more about, okay. is, um, not that I haven't had scotch a bunch of times, but what I know very little about is the big names. Yeah. I've had a yeah, bunch yeah. of different stuff, but I actually know very little about the classic big names, your, you know, your McCallans, yeah, the, all the, you know, the classic big Glenn names. Glenlivet. Yeah, I know very little about them. Yeah. Um, and those are the ones, if you're at a typical, you know, typical bar, if they have one or two things, there'll be names you're very familiar sure. with. I, I know very little about them. And I, that's one thing I want to just understand, because from a context standpoint. Of course. Like, I think I've tasted Jameson once. Yeah. Years ago, it's a well-made whiskey, but that's like I've heard it defined so many times. Like I think I need to go back and try them so I have a better frame of reference to define the other stuff I know better. If if you were in Scotland, and I I I'm very fortunate to make a trip there. A buddy of mine turned fifty, and he wanted to go to Isla and go to Lafroy. We stayed on Ardbeg's property. Oh, like, beautiful. Not on the distillery land, but it was owned by Ardbeg, which is, I believe, Diageo. But anyway, there is whiskey, and then there's scotch. And in the opinion of the Scottish, and I don't want to speak for the entire country of Scotland, but um, they what they're doing is on a level that everyone's trying to get to. And of course, there's a million different whiskeys, but when you're in Scotland and you're at a distillery, this is not a joke. This is very serious, very, very well-maintained product. I mean, to a level that I could not have imagined prior to visiting. Well, and I think that's it's a really interesting point because when you're looking at something well, we're trying at the end is, you know, a baseline product that's uh, 10 years, that's been aging for 10 years. That's the baseline product. You know, a lot of those places, their baseline's a 10-year. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we, you know, we don't see as much 10-year product here in the U.S. Right. Um, but that's the standard and that's the style. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. And sure. we, we, you know, we could go into all the technical reasons why, because they're not using new casks, they're not doing this. But, you know, there's a, it's a heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a heritage that they're carrying on. These, you know, distilleries are defined by their style. Of course. Um, and we all get defined by our style where we, um, where we turn into the more uh, curated version of ourselves over time. Sure. Sure. 
Sure. Um, Especially after a couple drams. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, but I, 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 I respect those that take what they do seriously. That's why I look at the, you know, the continuous improvement style of the, you know, the small stalls and the, you know, the small style stores in Japan where they, yep. you know, one thing, this They're is what I do for stuff. a career. This yeah. is what I do for a career. This is my dedication. This is my craft. Um, I respect it. I, I don't have the dedication to do that no. kind of thing all the time. But you know what? Like those that take their career to, or their passion to drive quality because this is what I care about. And in the way I want to do it. Yeah. And, you know, just because they love it the way they love it doesn't mean you have to like it, even if they no, care about it that much. Not which is amazing. Yeah. That's one of the best things about it. Absolutely, and, the, and, and to not to belabor the point, but I, I think that's an important point of distinction. The Scottish aren't saying that we know our whiskey is better. They're saying we know that what we're doing is the best possible way we can do it. And when you do things at the best possible way, in the best possible climate for the best amount of time in the most, you know, I don't want to say traditional ways, but because some of them have switched over to steel fermenting tanks. Uh, and like, it makes sense, for, I mean, for consistency or quality. And like there was one distillery we went to on Isla that still had wooden, wooden tanks, which is incredible. But know? it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very expensive right. and a lot of extra monitoring proposition. Absolutely. Very challenging. Extremely. And, and we're talking uh, 24 foot long pieces of uh, uh, Douglas fir. <laughs> like, I mean, we're talking a barrel that's 24 feet tall. That's it's, crazy. it's insane. And it's just the, the level at which they're, they're producing whiskey, at least on Isla. I have not been to any other distillery on, in Scotland other than the the six, is it six or seven? Uh, I'll be honest with you, that trip is very foggy. Um, uh, when you are in a distillery at 10 a.m., and let's just say it, at Lagavulin, mm -hmm. with Ian, who is their head distiller, and he's all of five foot one, absolutely on fire personality rubbing scotch in your hair just an absolute character and you have rifled through six let's call them healthy pours of you know barrel proof whiskeys uh you are enjoying yourself you are really truly enjoying yourself and you're in a cool damp aging room um and <laughs> After about the third one, the, the, your cheeks are rosy, your ears are cold, you're smiling, the must and the age and the two, three hundred year old building you're in is starting to become part of you. And, and it's just a hell of an experience. I, I, and unfortunately, <laughs> if you are drinking the healthy pours, uh, eventually you get to a point where you're just like, ah having just a good time <laughs> yeah and you're, you're still tasting but um you, you do lose a, as we talked before you lose a little but um I, a hell of an experience I, I would if you are a whiskey fan isla is uh if you can if you could make it happen i would 
absolutely and 100% encouraging. First time I ever hunted. Uh, actually, we we went pheasant hunting, mm. and I I don't you know I'm I'm not a hunter. I'm, I I do like shooting shotgun and doing uh, sporting clays, which is like golf with explosions. And I didn't get the point of that. I just enjoyed it until we went to Scotland. And I will say, we ate every ounce of meat we shot the next day. Well, I think that's, you know what? Incredible. Even, even though I, like, I choose not to eat uh, you know, animal products anymore, but for those that do, you know, utilizing as much as possible, being as you know, ethical as you can be yep. with and understanding that, hey, I did this, I'm doing this so I can, so I can consume, so I can enjoy. Yeah. You know, being, being conscientious of it is the, um, is the important part, you know, and supporting, you know, supporting local, uh, local places that do it right, uh, you know, places like McCann's, um, where, you know what, if you're going to eat meat, you're not gonna get a better sourced, better treated animal than what they're doing. Yeah. And places that treat everything with respect and use everything they can. Well, that's, you know what, if you're going to do it, do it as best as you can do. Absolutely. Um, you know. And that, to me, is kind of the, the hunting and then eating what you hunted the next day, which is just kind of remarkable. But um, I, there's, I don't, does it get any purer than that? I mean, other than, like, we, we did not prep because there is a level of experience you need to have. Yes. To be able to, to prep a pheasant. Especially with game birds, yeah. They're, Absolutely. They're challenging, and uh, um, your margin for error is very small. And you have to look for shot. I mean, that you, too. You, I mean, there's... there Very and, crunchy. And to, to be able to, to have that experience, I, I, you have to carry your own birds. Yep. So you have a connection to what you did. No doubt. And, and I think that that, that connection and that, that uh, experience... Really did open my eyes, and, and it's funny you mentioned McCann's because, I, you know, I've been going to McCann's since they opened. I think I was there on the second day. I recall. Yeah, and I, you know, I've we've just my wife and I eat so much less meat and enjoy it so much more because we're not we don't need a big three inch thick you know bone. It's just Amazing. a little bistro steak. Yeah, I mean flavors. Why not? But just a little. A little piece of meat and then some vegetable, you know, a, a nice balance is, is, is great. And you, do, you I'm a leather worker. I mean, on yeah. some level, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm not, you know, definitely not vegan, but I, I appreciate why the leather, leather industry exists. A lot of people don't, maybe know, I'll give a quick yeah, synopsis, but um, the leather industry is a byproduct of the beefing industry or the beef industry, and it's, it's one that represents about 20% of the total market. So it's not a big share, but it's a decent share. And the way I've always said it to, to customers, and, and I've had plenty of vegetarians, plenty of vegans in the shop who, you know, who good for them to come in and, and ask the questions, but um, if the animal's gonna die for beef, we damn well better use the skin. We absolutely have a responsibility to use every ounce of that animal. And I understand that purchasing skins that are made by maybe the thousands, I'm only buying one, but I'm using 
absolutely every you know manageable part of that one skin and I, I try to be as frugal as I can with what I am using to the point where I sell I've got a bucket of scraps over here they're just too small for me to use I will sell those to jewelry makers so they're gonna make little you know earrings or uh, little you know little trinkets for necklaces or whatever you know like I can't use it but I know I can sell it to somebody who can and then literally almost no waste which to me is an ideal scenario I mean yeah. I take one bag of garbage out of here every three months yeah and it's it's doing as best you can it's yeah yeah like is it my preference at this point no certainly not but at the same time if it's going to exist doing it as best you can side note what are you getting off that so this is one of, this is one of my favorites uh, of the last year it's very buttery interesting right um it's got a lot of fat on the back end which mm. sounds crazy but there is fat in, in whiskey mm -hmm. like, it's got a it's got a nice mouthfeel to it. Um, it's got a, a little bit of a little bit of astringency. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit hot. There's a know. little tannins to it. Yep, there's some tannins. There's uh, let me take another step. Hang on. Take a nose on it too. So I'm going to point you in a direction to focus where you're tasting. Um, think about think about dried fruits. Lip, I, I, my brain immediately went to fig, mm -hmm. but that may not be what you're... No, no, that's, that's certainly not going in the wrong direction. A little dried cherry. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of apricot in there, too. Like a little, I mean, at some level, you could kind of say almost anything at this point, but... Sure. No, but that's, uh, the reason I was pointing in a direction is this is a sherry cask-finished... Finger Lakes Rye Ooh, nice. from um, from FLX Distilling. So this is the Mackenzie Rye, which is finished in Finger Lake Sherry Casks. Okay. And it's it's driving with dried fruits. So huge dried fruit notes. The rye isn't quite as present. It's not quite as baking spicy, but it's there, like that top drying, the tannins. Yeah, it's a little bit of spice, yeah. But it's like spiced stewed dried fruits and richness and it's just such a unique expression of empire rye sure this actually is part of the empire rye nice um so new york state grains and everything else and it's so a new york state product yeah this That's is a awesome. new york state product and it's it's so expressive but this is the kind of creativity so we we're driving through a whole different range of things we hit you know, we hit, uh, you know, a young product out of Buffalo. We hit, you know, something that's more established in Journeyman out of Michigan. Um, you know, this Balcones from Texas, which is a bit different and odd. Um, this from New York State. Uh, again, the McKenzie uh, Sherry Finished Ride. Um, I adore this product. I'm going to have to have more of it in the house just because it's so good. Um, that place is killing it. I'm really impressed. I've got one of their weeded bourbons at home, too. Um, it's That place is killing it. I, it's awesome. Uh, amazing place to support. I'd say of the of the four, and I'll, I'll reiterate, we're having like quarter, oh, yeah, quarter yeah. ounce, no, I, eighth I, ounce. I, mean, I brought two ounce bottles, and I think I, for each one I poured a third or a quarter of Yeah, because it's less than half. Yeah. Um, it, 
This is the best of the four. In, I mean, I, I, you're it's comparing. Polished. Yeah, you're comparing. We're comparing. I don't want to say apples and oranges. It's four whiskeys, but very different opinions on whiskeys. Uh, yeah, completely different. But you know the Texas expression, you know the expression out of Buffalo, the one out of Jeremy. They're all very different. But I think the fun part about this, and this, this is by the way, I've been I've been stocking up at home because. This is what I want to do more of. Once it, well, yeah, once I want to do, I want to do that education. I want to expose people to different things mm-hmm. and allow them to try and journey through. Um, versus, it's hard when you go to a bar because you're like, oh man, I don't want to drop the money to open that up to to buy that at retail. Not that we don't want to support our bars because we we both certainly have. Oh my goodness, yeah. Um, Especially now. Yeah, we both have, but at the same time, people, if they haven't tried this stuff, don't want to go and open up $25 pours at bars to try some of this different stuff. You bring up a really good point. It's part of the whiskey culture, at least in my opinion, is about sharing. You know, it's about... uh, and I'm not talking Jack and Jim Beam, but I'm like, if you're buying a nice bottle of whiskey, it's why these, you know, there's whiskey exchange clubs where you can, you know, you can kind of share different things and kind of experience a, a bunch of different things. But I have, and I'm not saying this to be whatever, but I probably have 40 bottles of whiskey at my house, maybe 45. Yeah. At any one time, I've got. I had three here in my shop, which is a whole other thing, but <laughs> I, I don't drink whiskey at home ever. The only time I drink whiskey at home is when somebody comes over. Like I don't, I just, I'll have a beer, uh, you know, I don't really even drink at home. I'll have some wine occasionally. Yeah, we got to get that. Ooh, there it is. A, a little bit of a pop. Yeah, it's, it's a, um, a little muted, but yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I find myself doing it a little more often recently, but my pours are about what we're doing, maybe a little bit more. Like, I don't even, in my Glencairn, I don't pour to the outside of the bulb. No. I usually do a little bit less than that. So my pours are three quarters of an ounce, yeah. typically. And it's, You know, they're small. It, it, I think, for, at least for me, maybe, maybe it's not whiskey culture, maybe it's me culture, but... I I absolutely love sharing things that I like, almost to a fault. Like I will push shit on people who are hanging out at my house until they break down and try it. And it's not because I want to make them drink or I want to make. I just want. I love when folks have an experience, one that they've never had before, and two that's something I love and appreciate. And even if they don't like it or don't finish it or don't, you know, get the same experience out of it, I just, my, 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 just who I am in the, in the bones of my body is somebody who just loves sharing things that I have. Like, I, it's, it's my amazing. favorite thing. It's my absolute favorite thing. But what, what feels better? And that's, I think that's the, you know, the, the, the things that bother me most are the, the, the the hoarder the hoarder style collectors yeah. that lord it over people 
Um, I, I've had the, the benefit of having generous friends where I've tasted amazing things that I could never, I could never try otherwise, no. ever. Um, either because they're not available to the public, they're not, they're inaccessible. I've, I've had the luxury of having generous friends that because I showed an interest, were willing to share. Of course. Because everybody's had a bad experience where somebody's trying something and they don't respect it. Yeah, yeah. Like, they know for damn sure that I'm going to respect what I'm doing and that I'm going to spend the time to savor it and discuss it and enjoy it in the way that it's meant to be. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what I want to give back. Sure. I don't have some of that amazingly rare stuff. But at the same time, I want to give back to those that want to learn more about anything. Sure. But you've done be a better steward of it. You've done the homework. That's the difference. I so care. You you care and you've done the work to find maybe not the rarest whiskey, maybe not the most expensive whiskey, but one like that that Finger Lakes, that FLX is 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 phenomenal. Yeah. And it's it's not something that you're not gonna be able to get at the store. No, it's, it's not something that you're you're gonna struggle to it's just, hey, I found this thing, you should try it. But think about that as, I mean, you're an experienced whiskey drinker. Sure. Have you tasted anything like that before no. out of New York State? Or anything like that before? The fact that that's purely New York State is is impressive as hell. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's we tasted four whiskeys, and all of them were fine. That one was, that one was well done. And at the price point they're selling it for, it's like I don't the mean, low, what it's, is it it's like the low forties. Oh wow! Yeah, like high thirties, low forties. Like it's an astonishing value because if you put a big name on that, you gotta before you leave, make sure you write that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're gonna, what we are gonna dive into is one of the defining. So we talked about scotch. Yeah. Um, I can smell it through my mask. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, I have an. KN95 filter in my mask. I can smell this through my mask. Yeah, yeah. Um, this defines the, um, this defines peatiness in a scotch, yep. and this one is. Lafroy 10. Uh, we tasted this on our first podcast. I'm interested, uh, actually, to go back to it, because I've had it very few times. It's, uh, I'm going give you a little story, because, mm. um, this is the, we did a very in-depth tour at Lafroy. Um, and the guide on the tour let us crawl into the peat oven, not all the way in, but, and grab malt off the floor and eat it. We put our hands under the malt that was drying on the malt room floor I threw peat into the oven. I drank the water. I drank the beer, which is, if you're not familiar with whiskey, you make a beer first and then you distill that beer. I tasted every layer of this product. And in that experience, I was just obviously, if, if you're not gathering this, it's, it's just remarkable. It's an incredible experience. Like, to the point where Reaching into that malt oven, the smoke kind of goes through your hair. And for me, I don't really have hair, but my beard. 
and it stays with you and you chew that and it like you see the layers of flavor and this is all before in the new make we have the new make which is clear and just right out of the, the uh, still the complexity and layers and levels of this whiskey are beyond most whiskeys. I mean, you, you're, you're not going to say, you could compare this whiskey to other Isla whiskeys, but to compare it to any other whiskey on earth would be kind of silly. I mean, it's just totally different. It's very interesting. I've been learning more about, uh, we've done a couple, you know, peat versus non-peated episodes of uh, In Good Spirits because my scotch knowledge is probably my weakest, well, Irish, less than scotch even, but it's probably my biggest blind spot is learning about this. And in a lot of ways, Lefroy defines the peated, the high peat Isla style scotch because it's, it's driven by that. You know, it's the difference between smoke and peat. This has both. you know, it's smoky, but what, what, you know, I could use the terms, but it's not, it's not how you're experiencing it. And people call it phenolic. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the, I know what it tastes like, but I can't define it. I can give you a word. Yes, please. Band-Aids. Yeah, Band-Aid is one of the big yeah. ones. Yeah. But the phenolic <laughs> is what, you know, whiskey tasters will use mm-hmm. as the defining characteristic. You know, and... The band-aidiness is there. Sure. I don't think it is in a bad way. No, 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 not, not at all. But it, it's, it's hard because we use those tasting notes. You're like, why don't you drink something that tastes it's like, like band-aids? <laughs> you know, I know, it sounds terrible. Um, but it, because it has, you know, it's a little bit of that plasticiness, but not, not like when we talk about Riesling, right? We talk about petrol notes yeah. on some Rieslings. I find it amazingly pleasant. Well, it's a I savor those too, right? Yeah. Like, there's a and a taste, savory. Yeah, taste it again, and I'll I'll kind of I'm gonna put a word in your head. It's just taste for sweet toffee, and it only comes right when it hits your tongue. It's not a sweet whiskey. No, but there are sweetnesses to it. Plenty. Yeah. It, this isn't this isn't a pure savory affair, although because of the drive of that, you know that roasted that roasted flavor. This actually has a very nice soft intro with the, with that, you know, toffee, caramel note. It's not even particularly saline. It's got at the bare finish, you know, on your tongue more than on your, the top of your palate. It's got some of that, you know, saline, mm-hmm. almost sea-like, you know, side of the sea. Not quite that funk. No. Like it's not like the, not like the, the dank, like seaside rotting. Lagavulin has that oily, fatty, fishy almost. It's not that this is very clean. Yeah, very it's clean. clean throughout. The expression's very clean. It's distinct. It is layered. I'd like that sweetness even, is layered. I'd say it's even light. Like it it's is. not a. He- it, the no. flavors are absolutely punch you in the face. Articulate though. Yes, but it's still a light. It, the the viscosity of it is very light. The color of it is mm. fairly light. It's it's not overbearing, except it, it, 
the, it, let, let, let's put it this way. If you were to sit down and taste your first whiskey and have this, it would blow your head off. Like, well, you wouldn't maybe be able to handle it. It's not. It's not. It, the, the thing is, it's very, it's articulate. It's balanced for how intense it is. Correct. And we, we say balance in the fact that the flavors, you can, we can separate those when you say to taste the sweetness. The sweetness is there, and it, it glides into the next part. Yeah. You know, the weird thing I'm getting, not, it's not corn, but I'm getting a burnt vegetal. Yeah. You know, hard roasted, hard roasted vegetal something like a charred salad. Yeah. Charred salad where you get that, that intense smokiness. Like a charred, uh, uh, I don't want to say radicchio, that's a little too bitter, but like a charred uh, romaine. Yeah, it's something where you get, it, there's this vegetal charriness to it. And I think it's it is that hollow greenness almost, but not green because it doesn't taste young. It doesn't taste green at all. But it's that vague, yeah. It's that it's that um, watery charred vegetable something. Yeah. Where there's a little bit of that savory bent from the charred vegetable. That is, I think romaine's actually a very good tasting note there, and it's weird because that's charred lettuce. Is not a tasting note you think of. Is like, no. oh, you know what I want in my whiskey? I want charred lettuce. Charred lettuce and, charred lettuce and band-aids, please. Yeah. <laughs> but again, this when you're trying to isolate that hollow, charred, vegetal thing, but it's not green like green pepper. Like when we talk about bad whiskey, yeah. yeah. You talk about those green grain notes that are grassy, you know, chewy. Grassy, chewy, green pepper, pyrazines. It's really unpleasant. Yeah. This isn't unpleasant, but it's how to articulate what we're getting at. Um, it's delightful. There's a level of, of, of age and smoke and peat, and it's almost like stewed. Like you could have a, a piece of meat fresh off the grill, it's amazing. You could have a piece of meat out of a 12-hour stew that's amazing. This has some level of age to it. It has a level of... Uh, dry age almost. Experience, yeah. Like it's... It's it's, ex- it's a difference between a dry age and something like that sure. where it's, it's its own expression. Yeah. And the weird thing, so I'm going to go back to the fact that we're in a leather-bound room. Yeah, that does. Um, the weird thing, I think the first three, the first two we tried, I think it was actually to their detriment Yeah. being in here. Transitioning into the Texas one, I think it was neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdly, I think the Finger Lakes one with the uh, with the sherry finish was improved by the nose of tannins in the room. It actually changed how it tasted a little bit. Yeah, this is harmonious because it amplifies like the leather in the room amplifies what this is. Hundred percent. But I think that's the important thing with anything. When we talk about food, when we talk about drink, the environment matters so much. Yeah. Um, I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but you know, my first meal when I got to Italy, we were exhausted. We were hungry. We were just needed something, and we tasted this thing. You know, we had this amazing pizza from a you know a, a pizzeria Bonchi, and it was maybe the best thing I've ever had. But it's situational. Not that it wasn't Absolutely. not that it wasn't well done and executed, but situationally, getting in there, it's being part of something for the first time, needing it so much, 
defines the experience and it actually defines the taste to a point because you change the way you're expecting to experience something. Yeah, of course. Um, and this is actually, I mean, tasting this here is going to be different than the next time I have it. Absolutely. There, well, and it's, 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 this shop has, I mean, it, there's a little level of charm to it, right? Like it's messy and dirty and it, there's, there's, you know, leather everywhere and scraps and stuff on the floor, but there's, there's a, this, this room makes sense with this whiskey. Absolutely does. And like, to your point, you get to Italy, you get to that point, like, oh my God, we've traveled for 20 hours or whatever. And you're, you're, you're finally get to your hotel, you drop your bags, you're like, food now. There is a, there is a factor in every layer of it, but I think place, company, uh, environment, where you're at in your level of comfort, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if you're at a market in Budapest and you don't speak Hungarian and you don't know how to get to what you want, that's a whole different experience than walking into a place and, you know, where you're comfortable and you're, but I think there are expressions to both ends that are helpful. Well, like, I think that's, I think it's a, if we have a takeaway from this, it's there's so many different ways to experience something, whether it's a comfortable environment because you can focus in a different way, whether discomfort drives you to think of something in a different way. Sure. When you're talking about tasting, there's amazing benefits to contrast. We have the, when we talk about leather and those tannins helped balance some of those big sherry notes in that rye, the rich notes. With the Laphroaig, it actually amplifies and it's harmonious with those flavors in a very different way. Yeah. When you're tasting acid against a rich thing or when you're tasting a, you know, a rich thing against a rich thing, when it amplifies the richness, all those things are valid. Absolutely. Your experience with whatever you're enjoying is valid. What I want to drive with everything I do is how can you share that with somebody else? How can you share that experience with somebody else and explain why you loved that so much? I, I think we're, we all have these unique experiences. We all live our own lives on our own terms, but being able to, being able to reflect on where we are, being able to reflect on what we love and share that with those that we enjoy being around. Yeah means more to me now after you know this uh pandemic experience than it ever has before sure um well i think too i think we all took this for granted yeah 100%. Like just existing we took existing for granted and in this pandemic in this whole experience i, I don't want to belabor the pandemic because i'm sure that's the number one we've all everywhere. talked about it so much um Finding your little nugget or sharing your nugget, it's for me, it's not finding it. For me, it's sharing it. Like like you just said. I, I and I mentioned before, I, I my favorite thing is to share a new experience with somebody. And even if they're the person that's gonna take a shot of, you know, Lafroy 10, which is what, $70 a bottle or whatever it is, 
and slam it and then suck on a lemon, whatever. Like, <laughs> like, I don't even care. Like, the fact that I have the ability to share that with you means the world to me. And I, I'm being selfish in that respect because I, yeah, I'm sharing something with you, but I just, it freaking, I love it. I love seeing somebody have a new experience and I, and I like being the person that could give them that. You know, there's absolutely. A, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, it's part of the, the core of the character of who I am. Like it's just sharing and experiences are, are everything. Yeah. And this, the pandemic has obviously limited those, but um, I think it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting the way I, you know, the world seems after we can kind of take our breath after this pandemic and, and the threat is kind of gone and what, where, where, how far will we go? How many experiences are, are we going to have? I think, I think we're going to see a lot of great, amazing stuff happen. I, really I hope do. so. I really do. Because I think it's weird how much, like I said, this it, it's calcified so many of my thoughts and my opinions on on the world and everything else. But I think the thing that we that I took for granted was the having people, was the inviting people in to experience, was the hosting, the other stuff that I didn't do enough of before. And I, it's such a drive now. People that I considered friends, but I hadn't seen you in what a year and a half. Maybe more. <laughs> Maybe more. But I consider you a pretty good friend. Yeah, sure. And sure. it's hard because we all live busy lives. But I think <clears throat> carving out that time means more to me now. Absolutely. Even though it's not like I'm less busy, but I think carving the time feels more important now than it has in so long. It should have been before. But we all fall into our routines. We all fall into our typicals. So what I would say to everybody is, you know, keep an eye out. Think of, think about think about the people that you love spending time with and make it happen. One way or another, make, make it happen now, after, and be there for everybody. Because everybody needs, everybody needs this now, even if they haven't verbalized it. Everybody needs this more than ever now. Um, but what I'm going to close with is blatant shilling. I'm going to close this with blatant shilling. So if you want to enjoy an experience at home with something else that's been curated by me, um, I've started a, new, uh, started a new food delivery service here in Rochester called Curate uh, with the uh, Frankly team that I've been involved with for the last few years. Uh, we're delivering mystery meals to your door uh, on Wednesdays. We're trying to do it every other week. Uh, our next delivery is targeted for, ooh, let me see, hold on a second. Next delivery is targeted for, well, it's two and a half weeks from now, but let me get the calendar date right. One, two, three, February 10th. Um, I've got a really exciting place in mind. So if you want to check it out, go to curatemeals.com. I'll probably say this in the intro as well. Um, just really excited to try to bring some small restaurants, uh, some business, and um, hopefully take some business away from the other big delivery services where we're not taking big cuts from the restaurants and delivering a good service to people who are enjoying it. So Awesome idea, by the way. I'm, I'm really excited about really it. really cool. Um, but anyways, um, Dave, no, go ahead. No, I want to I wanna support your, your concept here because 
it's one thing like one meal is not going to keep a restaurant afloat. No. It's what you're trying to do is bring 20 meals to a small, established, maybe not necessarily a place people might order from or go to, uh, to their door. And, and that, that is, a, is a hell of a service. I mean, really uh, a great idea, a great concept. I'm really, really excited to see that, uh, that move forward. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited. Um, but anyways, I'll probably mention this in the intro as well. But, but Dave, uh, just to close out, where can people find your stuff and uh, how can people support you as you uh, continue to grow your, you know, your, uh, your dedicated business? It's uh, at David Lane Design on all the social media uh, and davidlanedesign.com. We are in the Hungerford building. Uh, 1115 East Main Street, right at kind of kitty corner from the public market, Railroad Street. And uh, I do want to throw Happy Gut just open. I haven't been in yet. It looks so beautiful. And it's in the Hungerford. Like, oh. I, can I tell you oh, the fact that I can walk downstairs oh. and get a booch and a shot and come back up in three minutes? Are you oh. kidding me? Um, awesome. ama- amazing people. Yeah. Um, I, I, I apologize. I don't remember her husband's Kat. name. I don't remember her husband's name. But Kat, Kat. Kat uh, she's she's such an interesting person to talk to. Their products are fantastic. They're passionate people. Yeah. So um, definitely check out what's in the Hungerford. And as we get reopened, you know, embrace the Hungerford again. You know, the, uh, the first Fridays, first Fridays yeah. which were just an amazing gathering of like-minded, cool people. So keep that in mind as things open back up, but support your small artists, support small businesses. And Dave, we'll be back another time on the Food About Town podcast with or without you, but we'll be back. I'm ready when you are. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Take care.